Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Thanks for coming back to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Unlimited and Matthew Fairburn. He covers the bills for The Athletic. And um, my dad, who never met a word he couldn't mangle, would call this week a smorgasbord of, uh, of Buffalo sports uh, items. Uh, we have, of course, the Toronto Blue Jays getting ready to start their season uh, at Salem Field downtown. We have the Bills schedule being released. We have UB football hiring a new coach and adding uh, assistance to the staff. We have Jack Eichel and Kevin Adams uh, in a verbal uh, tug of war over who's right and who's wrong regarding his neck injury. We have Cole Beasley essentially saying he's been uh, uh, he's been walking around without a mask this whole time, uh, despite not getting vaccinated because it's quote all pretend. Um, where do we want to start? And I'm probably leaving a couple of things out. I don't know. Where do we start? Probably the Sabers, right? They seem to be the the top news item of the week even had some folks asking where we were to answer to this Sabres mess. So I feel like we need to address the Sabres mess. Although we've also been. Well, let's address where we were. Uh, I was a little under the gun this week, finishing a story number one, but we also made a team decision. Two to one vote. It was John was outvoted. I was going to say. It was not unanimous. It was a two to one vote that we wait and hear what Kevin Adams had to say because I think people listen to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs, and business consultants for our reasoned, for for our measured words, for the fact that we take a look at the whole thing, that we're not hot takery. And, um, and so and how, think, ma- how many of us three were on that? Kevin Adams Zoom call. I watched it. I was I wasn't on it, but I did watch the whole thing. So I wasn't so on it, but I knew half. that I'd be able to digest. Did my homework. I'd be able to digest what was said. I, Vogel Vogel was all over it, so I was I was in the middle of some, you know, putting together some things for Bill's rookie camp. But I did take a make a point to take the time out to join it live because uh you know on on Facebook. So I feel like I got the common the common man's experience as I watched the Facebook comments roll in uh, as Kevin Adams spoke. I don't know if I liked uh, Jonah Bronstein's tone with that finger wag when he, you know, Hey, how, how many of you 
He's like, oh, we waited to hear from Kevin that, Adams. So who even listened like to Kevin swooping Adams? Yeah, we got Jonah Walnuts on here giving us <laughs> well, the I business. I don't know. I, I, I logged into that Zoom call specifically for the purpose of the podcast I thought we were going to do when it was over. And then I found out that I was just wasting my time on there. I'm All right, sure Jonah. So what's your thought? What's your thought on what Jack Eichel had to say regarding his herniatic, uh, his herniated cervical disc? Well, I wasn't on the Jack Eichel call, although I, you know, saw the clips and read the stories. My initial takeaway is I'm happy that Jack Eichel seems to have matured and advanced to the point where he can express his feelings in these end of season media calls. Cause in the past there was a lot more, eye rolling and not wanting to participate and disclose what he was thinking and how he was feeling. And he was utterly so, bratty. Yeah, he was, but he, was, no, he wasn't. I, I do Reinhardt feel like was. he was. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Reinhardt <laughs> did the old rap. I think Jack Eichel, even though you might disagree and a not, joke, not love the way some of the things he said, I think he was honest and open and forthcoming. I think, I know this is a little bit against NHL policy and rules, but some of these issues might have, gone a little bit differently if Jack Eichel had spoken to the media a few weeks back, if there had been a little bit more public dialogue and public accountability through this whole process. And But I was very interested in what Kevin Adams had to say and what kind of came out through John Vogel's reporting the next day and the specifics of this difference in, in medical opinion and the surgery that Jack Eichel wants that's never been performed on an NHL player before and the Sabres doctor's reluctance to, to jump in on that and you know, anybody that's ever had to have a surgery or had major injuries before knows that surgery is usually the last option, not the first option. So I found it interesting as the reporting developed on the, the medical aspect of this Jack Eichel situation, which is related to, but a lot different than the conversation we've had hockey-wise about Jack Eichel going back a few seasons now. I do think that the conversation changed quite a bit uh, after Kevin Adams spoke on Wednesday. Uh, and I, that's why I thought it was a good idea that we did wait uh, because everybody was coming in hot with what Jack Eichel had to say. We didn't have the Sabre side of things. I thought Kevin Adams, uh, it's a phrase we've used on here before, lowered the temperature in the room by talking. Uh, I think that fans who were all in on team Eichel uh, probably softened their stance at least a little bit uh, or maybe a hundred percent after hearing what uh, Kevin Adams had to say. Uh, as you mentioned, Jonah, you know, this has never been done before in a, in a hockey player, uh, MMA uh, fighters have done it uh, with some success, but yeah, the Sabres are hesitant. We have a long off season coming up. Uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, there's still a chance for surgery if it gets to that. So uh, I, I think I understand both sides and uh, I do agree. It was refreshing to hear Jack Eichel speak up for himself and um Hopefully he does that more often. I'd like to hear him do that regarding the hockey aspect of things also, um, which he really started to do under Kruger. You know, when, when Kruger started uh, giving contradictory information regarding Jack Eichel's uh, health uh, during the season. Um, I don't know. Matthew, your, your thoughts on, uh, on the Jack Eichel Sabres medical staff standoff. Yeah, I, I found myself after Kevin Adams spoke, you know, and as Jonah mentioned, 
John Vogel reporting, you know, some more of the details, kind of trying to figure out what Jack Eichel's game was on Monday, because we don't normally hear him that open or that forceful. Uh, I think he's been more talkative perhaps than people give him credit for. I don't know how many different ways he can say the same thing about the lousy hockey team he's been playing for all these years. Has he occasionally been salty? Yeah, but I mean, anybody would be. But the motive, you know, I, I find it to just be an interesting back and forth because I think Kevin Adams did a really nice job yesterday. Uh, as you said, lowering the temperature in the room and kind of, I just think he does a pretty good job in general with the press conferences, thinking about the questions, uh, answering thoughtfully and being honest and as secretive as hockey teams are about injuries. The fact that they were as open with this one as they were tells me they really believe that they're in the right here and that they have not done something wrong with Jack and they're prepared to lay all the cards out on the table. Kevin was a few times kind of laughing and like, you know, I don't read MRIs and, and this and that, that felt like if Jack Eichel was watching, it felt like that would probably piss Jack Eichel off. You know, that's what I was, the feeling I got watching Kevin Adams, but I didn't necessarily think that was a bad thing. In, in what way, Matthew? The way he was saying, well, you know, people were like, well, when you were a player, how would you have felt? And Kevin Adams kind of laughed and he was like, well, you know, I don't read MRIs, you know, I trust my doctors. And he, and he was kind of like, you know, that almost that nervous type of laugh, but almost like a, come on. I mean, you got to trust the doctors. And I didn't, I, I didn't mind it. What were you saying, John? Well, I was just saying, I thought that was the most telling, the best part of Kevin Adams media availability, just the, the way he reacted, the body language and facial expression seemed very genuine and honest. And I think that was his true feeling that he seems exasperated that, you know, John Vogel, I think, reported that the second opinion from Jack Eichel's doctors agreed with the Sabres opinion that rest is the way to go. And that, and that listening to the doctors is what a player should do in this situation, not go hunting for a third or fourth opinion or looking up on WebMD, what newfound surgery might get Jack Eichel on the ice quicker. I don't know if that's you know, the angle there. The only question I have about the second opinion and I'm trying to figure out exactly. So the second opinion can come from an independent but league approved doctor, if I read the CBA correctly. And so it sounds like Jack Eichel might have gotten a third opinion potentially uh, to try to find the answer that he was looking for. Um, yeah, it almost felt like Kevin Adams was scoffing a little bit, might be the word. You know, it's kind of saying, like you said, exasperated. And I think I'm all right with that in this situation because, like I said, I don't really know what Jack Eichel's motives were on Monday. They're not, at, you know, the, the most interesting or one of the interesting things Kevin Adams revealed is that they're not at the end of this pre-agreed to rehab period where they decided they would wait it out. And so before they got to the end of that, Jack Eichel decided to speak out and make an issue of this, which is fine because if he is getting mixed messages or there's a disconnect or he's upset, he has every right to say so and to 
try to take control of his own medical situation in any way that he possibly can. But from the Sabres point of view, if they had one thing agreed upon and they haven't even gotten to the end of that, you know, period of, of waiting to see how things go and they have a, a pretty firm belief on how they want this handled, I'm okay with Kevin Adams digging his heels in a little bit because it felt as if Jack Eichel was taking the reins on Monday. And this, like you said, Tim, the, the Sabres were not looking good in the situation and anybody reacting immediately afterwards would have said so. And I think Kevin Adams steered that a little bit the other way. The truth probably falls somewhere in the middle as it typically does in these situations. But I got the sense from Kevin Adams that he's not going to roll over on this in, in a couple of ways, you know, with Jack in particular and with teams calling about potentially trading for Jack, because that's the most important part. I think Kevin Adams has to dig his heels in. And if he's going to trade this guy, get something worthy of dealing away a 24 year old superstar. Yeah. I think Kevin Adams handled it. Well, my only suggestion I think it's a significant suggestion would have been in that situation. I mean, we didn't know exactly what was, what the Sabres response was going to be until Kevin Adams spoke. But after we learned what Kevin Adams had to say on Wednesday, I think it would have been smart to come out with a statement um, explaining that he didn't, Kevin Adams didn't have to make the rounds with the media and he could have said, Hey, I'll talk about this more on Wednesday when I'm scheduled to talk, because that also would um, indicate, hey, this isn't a big emergency. It's not that big a deal. But since Jack Eichel said this today, uh, this is our side of it. And that, I think, really would have helped the Sabres uh, because for 48 hours, people only had Jack Eichel's side. Very, people were very sympathetic to Jack Eichel. And I think it helped a lot of people. And we know how things work in this day and age with fans. Once they come up with a stance, it's really kind of hard. I mean, you could soften it a little bit, but people don't want to just totally flip on an opinion that they've backed on social media, that they've screamed at, you know, with their friends. If you've gotten into an argument over this uh, on Monday or Tuesday, it's hard for people. I mean, evidenced by the fact that there's probably people going all the way back to 2015 that don't want it, that have vocally expressed yes. a loud opinion about this guy that don't want to change it because right. of people. Yes. Because of the tank. Forget because Monday. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm rooting against Jack Eichel working out because I, I was so anti-tank that I, you know, and I'm not talking about media. I'm just talking about fans, whatever. So for those 48 hours, that narrative was kind of set and it's hard, you know, to, for the Sabres to totally win all those people over. I think that, again, Kevin Adams did a great job, and I'm kind of on the, you know, whatever happens, however it works out. You know, I generally will side with the player. It's his body. I understand, though, the business side of it. The Sabres have invested a lot of money in this player. Uh, it's guaranteed money. Um, they can't just cut him uh, if the surgery doesn't work out. I mean, I'm sure there's different machinations within the collective bargaining agreement and all this stuff, but yeah, I mean, the, the CBA is set up the way it is with second opinions and the team being in control for a reason. And it's because the players get these guaranteed contracts. Um, so I hope that Jack Eichel gets some satisfaction because I'm generally pro-labor in those, in, in those regards anyway. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, the Sabres seem like they have a very reasoned take on this. 
But for 48 hours, uh, the anti-Pagula, anti-Sabres front office fan base out there had a lot of ammunition to fortify their belief that the Sabres suck, that this front office sucks, that we need a hockey operations president. Uh, everything is awful. Um, and so they had that, that would have been my only my a only lot of players, mostly younger players, had to face questions about what Jack Eichel said on Tuesday that wasn't really fair to them that they really couldn't answer and kind of an awkward way most of them dealt with that situation. Right. They could have put Kevin Adams on that call on Tuesday and gotten at least one day ahead on that whole situation. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you could have just moved it up. I mean, I'm, I'm they probably took two days to figure out what they were going to say exactly, but. It, you know, I, I, it didn't seem like it was fiction what Kevin Adams had to say on Wednesday. So I think it would have probably behooved them to put something out with some bullet points to say, while we, you know, we respect Jack and kind of a kumbaya before people had already over 48 hours say, you know, written the story that the Sabres and their captain are at war. Yeah, I think it, it's, you know, putting out a statement or even, yeah, just having Kevin Adams speak on Tuesday would have been, you know, would have been probably better than having it sit out there for as long as it did. But I understand people who don't want to give the Sabres the benefit of the doubt on this one either. Like, I, I get that. If you're they skepti- haven't earned it. No. And if you're skeptical of what Kevin Adams said, or heck, if you're skeptical of the Sabres doctors uh, on this one, I don't know that I, you know, totally blame you. I, you, you don't get the benefit of the doubt when, you know, you've done everything wrong at, at every turn, uh, seemingly for the last decade, but it's kind of, like I said, it feels like some, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle and it is still noteworthy that I, I keep going back to, you know, why did Jack Eichel do what he did? because it was out of the ordinary and it was, you know, well within his rights. And I think, you know, fine for him to do what he did, but kind of piecing through where he was coming from, it felt somewhat calculated the way he, he spoke about it. And it felt like he knew what he was doing going into that. There would have been, there could have been other ways for Jack Eichel to do it too. Right. You know, he could have uh, done, a one-on-one interview uh, with somebody, you know, to get that out there the way he wanted it out there. Uh, But he kind of embraced the chaos. It felt like a little bit, he kind of let that press conference go off the rails and he seemed fine doing it. You know, at the, by the end of it, he was kind of just like, you know, he, he was saying whatever. And so it created Days worth of well, content. To me, it's a guy who wants out, and this was yeah, I, him lighting the fuse, and kind of, I mean, again, this is me reading between the lines, but seemingly enjoying whatever liberating feeling that gave him. That, I think so. Yeah. I think there was, and I think there is an element here where, for him to do it that way, for him to use, and I'm not saying that he doesn't have justified gripes with his injury situation or that he's not actually upset about it because I think he is, but to be able to voice those as your way of then saying, Hey, I I don't know, I guess wherever I play hockey next year, hopefully I can get this figured out. 
plant that seed, get the conversation going, get the other general managers in the league, you know, calling their brain trust together to figure out what the best package is they can put together, you know, for you. It felt like, look, I can get out of here and I'm not that guy who like begged to get out of here. You know, I had a justified reason for doing it. So it created a, an interesting situation for the Sabres on multiple levels because there could be a grievance at some point. You know, you're talking about an injury situation and as forward as they were about it on Wednesday makes me think they're ready for whatever comes in that regard. But it created another interesting layer where did it lower Jack Eichel's trade value and lower the Sabres leverage, which I think it did. Oh, absolutely. And, and now, you know, does Jack Eichel care about that? Probably not. But the next But it's step, also not a binary thing. It's, it's not as like a zero-sum situation. By the lessening the Sabres' leverage didn't give Jack Eichel more leverage. No. Because that's, this and, isn't a no-trade situation. This, he, this isn't Dominic Hasek back in 2001 where, hey, look, you trade me or I retire. I mean, Jack Eichel doesn't have those cards to play. So, uh, yeah, he, he weakened the Sabres' position, uh, but certainly didn't strengthen his own. He might have weakened his own, in fact. And I think it's important for Kevin Adams to remember that and to keep that in mind over the next few months as he gets phone calls about Jack Eichel, because in some, in some regard, you could look at it and say, well, they have no choice. They got to get rid of this guy. And I know there's a lot of people that feel that way. And like I said, that may go back to uh, their, their feelings about the tank. It goes back a long way. There's a lot of people that have a really weird dislike of Jack Eichel that I, I can't figure out, you know, the people saying, how entitled he is. We don't, we don't like anybody from that. I, I guess. I mean, I find it a little odd when you, you root for arguably at the present moment, the most, you know, dysfunctional organization in professional sports, uh, one of the five worst organizations in professional sports and the one legit star they have, you kind of turn the light on him and make it about this guy. Like, Oh, this guy wasn't ready to lead. You don't win with guys like Jack Eichel. They said the same thing about Jeff Carter and Mike Richards and I don't know, in Philadelphia. And like 12 months later, they were raising a cup in, in Los Angeles. So I think you, they say that about Phil Kessel, right? You couldn't win with Phil Kessel. You don't win with guys like that until somebody finds a way to win with guys like that. So a lot of pressure was put on this guy and a lot of undue, you know, I mean, he's a professional hockey player. You can criticize him if you want, but the personal attacks and the idea of this guy, you know, there was nothing he could have done to live up to it, it seems like. And it was an unrealistic position to put him in. But now you're Kevin Adams. Like, you don't have to trade Jack Eichel, period. Like, you don't have to do it unless you get a package worthy of it. At And if over the summer nobody's willing to give it to you, go make Jack Eichel play. Say, you want out of here that bad? Go, go score 10 goals and, and raise your price tag because until then, we'll keep you here. And I think that's the only way to – the only logical way out of this if you're the Sabres is you either get a lot for Jack Eichel or you make him play for you because, like you said, Tim, he does not have Dominic Hasek leverage. He doesn't have Aaron Rodgers leverage here. He's not that close to the end of his career. He wants to keep playing. And – you cannot, you absolutely cannot have another Ryan O'Reilly 
situation or even to a much lesser extent, like the Taylor Hall situation. You know, you trade Taylor Hall away for nothing. It was a lose-lose situation. You keep him and it's what you get absolutely nothing. And, you know, you have to trade him, but you can only trade him to a select few teams and you end up getting pennies on the dollar. Cannot do that with Jack Eichel. And if you do, it's going to be some short-term satisfaction for a, a collection of the fan base that really doesn't like the guy for whatever reason. And they'll talk themselves into the, the plotters that Kevin Adams got in return, but they'll in a year from now be all pissed off like they were with Ryan O'Reilly. So you have to get some studs. I don't know what that package looks like. You know, the, the collection of players, uh, that that they can get but it never works out these package deals because it it's all you know the the sum is greater than the pieces you know it looks well, impressive you know let's give you six guys for one what about the michael pecker trade it can work out oh sure Tri- well the pecker tra- yeah it can work out uh it, but it rarely does it gives you a reset button you can say get this guy off the books you know $10 million off the salary cap each year, get a couple of first round picks. It puts other people into different roles. You know, you have a different captain you have, so it, it can work out, but yeah, you're not going to get Jack Eichel's a Jack Eichel level player. In I'm return. trying to think who, who made the Pekka trade. Was it John Muckler? I don't know that Kevin Adams is the one that's going to be swinging the trade. And that that's another aspect of this whole situation. Do you want Kevin Adams to be the guy to make the trade. Um, well, that's the thing. This I don't is a know. very I mean, who, delicate his, situation his for the organization. staff is so thin. Well, that's been is, my point all along, that you blow it up, you blow everything up. You don't start with Jack Eichel being the first fuse you light. You change the whole operation, management, structure, coach, general manager, and you trade all of these veteran players right around the same time. And Jack Eichel's maybe the last move you make there, not the first. And it shouldn't be And I guess we're all, sorry, I forgot where I was going with that intro there, but you don't Blow trade it Jack all Eichel up, because, Kevin Adams. because Jack Eichel wants to get traded. You trade Jack Eichel because it's the best thing for the Sabres and the Sabres franchise. And I think there's a lot of other fires to put out and issues to address before you start thinking about, making that Jack Eichel trade and that being the priority for the Buffalo Sabres right now. Yeah. I think the franchise is in such a delicate position right now with a lot of big roster decisions to make and Kevin Adams might be able to pull it off. It's possible. I mean, you never know. Right. But is the current setup, as it's constructed, giving you the highest chance to pull off this series of delicate moves, both like personally, right? Because of this injury situation and the disagreement and the interpersonal relationships, you have a coach, you know, that you have to decide, you know, who to hire. And you've got three legitimate NHL players one, I would say, is a star in Jack Eichel and then Ristolainen and Reinhardt that you may have to trade. I would say the other two at this point you probably want to trade. Uh, Jack Eichel, you have to figure all that out. 
it's possible Kevin Adams could press the right buttons and, you know, sit back in September and be like, whoa, look at this team I assembled. Um, and he'll come out of this and it'll be like his fortifying experience as an NHL general manager. And we'll look back in years and be like, man, remember when Kevin Adams against all odds, you know, just found a way to, to rebuild this team, but it does not feel like they've given themselves the best chance to do that as they've set up their front office. And as they continue at what, what would frustrate me if I were a Sabres fan is the same thing. It's a, a magnified version of what happened with Taylor Hall is you get into that spot at the deadline. Why? Because of a mistake you made in the months earlier where you gave him the no movement clause. And that was the guy who was going to get you to the Stanley cup. Well, now it's a situation where trading Jack Eichel in and of itself is not necessarily a massive mistake, but you've now gotten to a point where Jack Eichel's value is probably lower than it's been in his entire career. And there is a deadline because of when the no movement clause kicks in where it will go even lower next but year. But if you keep him and which I agree, I mean, I'm, I'm just adding this as another wrinkle. If you do decide to keep him, um, you're adding whatever new players or the, the current roster, whatever it is, the, whatever team you want to build is being built around him. Still, he's the captain. He's still the best player on the team. And yet he's pretty much established he wants out. So what kind of position does that put the, whether it's Don Granado, whoever the next Sabres coach is going to be, or those teammates that they have a guy wearing the C who doesn't want to be there anymore. Um, Obviously he can mask it and he can try to, you know, maybe you you have a talk with them, but how long do, do those attitude adjustments really last? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, I'm trying to come up with another word we, and I hate using it because it's just repetitive, but it's so accurate. It's just the toxicity. It's, it's this toxic sabers gruel that, you know, everybody has to eat when they join the team and everybody's eating the same shit and the fans have to, you know, are eating it too. And it's just, you know, there's so many situations in which they're backed in a corner. I think that's why it's, possible to win a Jack Eichel trade. I think it is possible to do that because of what you mentioned. You can't take, okay. So say he's still on the roster. Yeah, but can opening you quantify season. that? Right. I mean, it's, it's like hard. the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Maybe that's the best that they could do, but Jack Eichel goes somewhere. You'd almost have to hope if you're the Sabres that he just doesn't embarrass you by being great. You know, I, I hope that neck injury you know, I hope we traded damaged goods and he doesn't pan out because if he goes off to Denver or Seattle or New York and does well, there's no way we can win this trade. It's true. It's, it's not easy to win the trade. But if he's on your roster to start next season, you can't take the captaincy away from him. You know, that just creates another, you know, bit of drama that you don't need. And I think the only way you can pull that off is if you go and trade for a, I don't even know who this would be at the moment, but like a Chris Pronger type, a Zdeno Chara type, who's like that guy, he's just, he's the captain. That might as well be his name. You know, the guy that walks around the building as the captain, that's the only way you could justify it and have Jack Eichel be okay with it. He might not, you know, be, but 
Otherwise, you are going to have a, a, a salty sailor as your captain to start next season, and that's a weird position to be in. I'd be fascinated if Jack Eichel were to pull the Lindy Ruff card and renounce his captaincy. I, it would. It, who knows? Maybe that would solve some problems. Maybe if he's like, look, I don't want this. Go find somebody who, who, who does and who, you know, I mean, not everybody is that way, right? Like some guys want – you know, want the alternate, want the A, you like, I don't know. I mean, the captaincy in, in hockey is a weird thing. Um, it's different than other sports. It's, it's pretty bizarre. Um, it's mystical. Yeah. It's, it's a little weird, but a lot, a lot of, of the pressure is weird, man. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, a, lot of, a lot of weird guy stuff goes on in hockey. Yeah. It, it's a weird, a weird sport, a weird league. And Sabres have themselves a very weird team um, at the moment, but. Hey, let's jump here. I think we've, we've, we've beaten this to death. Let's go to another team that's starting to look a little weird. Sorry to say it. I know uh, Bill's fans are going to get a little upset, especially those it's politically charged stuff, but. A year ago we had Tredavious white deciding whether or not he was going to play. You know, his wife is a nurse. He had concerns about COVID. I interviewed three prominent Buffalo Bills uh, before uh, summer workouts began regarding COVID and the protocols, and they were scared. Micah Hyde among them. He had a newborn son. He was really concerned. Now we uh, see, you know, we well, we had the Brandon Bean controversy. A lot of fans pushed back on that. The league and the NFLPA uh, weren't too happy with what Brandon Bean said. We had Josh Allen say what he did about, you know, essentially it's a freedom of speech issue. Kind of silly to say it's freedom of speech. But anyway, my body, my choice. Unlike Jack Eichel, NFL players do uh, have a little bit more uh, agency over what happens to their bodies contractually. Um, Cole Beasley today pretty much says that he, uh, he thinks that all this COVID stuff is pretend putting on a mask. And he says that he's been walking around without a mask and acting like he's uh, vaccinated for quite a while now. He outside, wants to know if outside, that's illegal to be clear outside is what oh, Cole so, Beasley okay. was saying. So he was, I, I think the initial tweet that, caused things to go into a tailspin was CNN's breaking news tweeting that Dr. Fauci said that people vaccinated against COVID-19 do not need to wear masks outside. Quote, we've got to make that transition. Cole Beasley quote tweeted that and said, I do that without being vaccinated. Is this illegal now? Clearly showing that he's a very tough guy. Uh, right. And uh, not wearing uh, a mask outside. And also uh, doesn't understand how things work. It's not a matter of the law and what's legal and illegal. It's the right. And yeah, guidelines and recommendations. Treating Dr. Fauci saying that as, you know, having needing to be combative about that the way that he was, I think, you know, set the tone for what followed and what then Cole Beasley said, well, threw kind of threw his hands up and was like, you can't have civil conversation online, right? When he started it off in a pretty combative way. Uh, he knew what he was doing, I would say. He's a smart guy, and he's uh, 
really good in, in interviews. Um, one of the best guys to talk to on the team. So I think he knew what he was doing. His responses of note uh, well, to catch people. For the catch- record, I have one here in front. So he got into an exchange with Jeff Cavanaugh, who's in Dallas uh, Sports Radio. Uh, Jeff Cavanaugh made a point to mention that getting vaccinated, wearing the mask, all that stuff is just being pretty much respectful of other people. Uh, and Cole Beasley's response was, and I don't know if this has been deleted, uh, but the screen capture says, so if I don't get the vaccine, so if I don't get the vaccine, I'm not being mindful of others. Literally, who is mindful of anybody else in this day and age of social media, Jeff? It's all pretend. Everyone is fake. That's why it's blasphemy to have a real convo on here right now. Um, so it's just all pretend it's all theater. Apparently. Um, I don't know. It's, Maybe uh, this is all a gimmick to promote Cole Beasley's next rap song. And Rachel Bush can be in the video. This strikes me as not a very good thing, um, for the bills in general. Well, that's my question. You guys cover the league closer than I do. Is this going on elsewhere? I mean, this is the third or fourth time we've had an issue with a bill's player or general manager saying not maybe not the wrong thing but getting involved in this public dialogue about the vaccine and I'm not seeing it happen I've seen it happen in other sports but I'm not seeing it happen elsewhere around the NFL so we have Jeff uh, uh, sorry so we have uh, we have Josh Allen stepping in it uh, by saying what he did to Kyle Brandt's podcast um, not as polished as he should have been very easily could have gotten out of that question, but tried to be a nice guy and answer it and ended up uh, creating some controversy. We have Jordan Poyer's wife, Rachel Bush being incredibly combative with people uh, on social media regarding conspiracy theories and masks and the pandemic not being a real thing. Jordan Poyer, I guess pretty much, agreeing with her and we haven't seen him push back. He's defended her in cases. So I think we have to say that Jordan Poyer agrees with that. A lot of uh, likes on his, uh, Twitter we, feed. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew. A lot of like, if you look at Jordan Poyer, the tweets he likes, um, he's, he, he's fallen in line there. Um, they're, they're, they're aligned on their thoughts. Yeah. I don't know if there are some others that maybe I've missed, maybe some, even, you know, some lesser profile members of the bills, but, um, John Feliciano was retweeting some Cole Beasley stuff today. Uh, Gabriel Davis jumped in, you know, and was like basically saying like, amen, thank you. Thank you for saying this like type of stuff. Um, And this is what happens when you become in the, when you get in the national spotlight three or four years ago, are people caring what the Buffalo Bills skill players have to say? No. Yeah. I think it's different with a Cole Beasley, right. And a Josh Allen, um, you know, it might just be, ah, those crazy bills a couple of years ago, you know, if it were Kyle Orton or whoever else, but it's, this is creating a somewhat, you know, it's now a headache. I think that Sean McDermott has to deal with because Let let me just use a quick, and maybe you, maybe you guys disagree with this too, but when the bills weren't very good and let's say Richie incognito, as big of a, a name as he is and the, as controversial as he was at the time, I don't even think that really ripples too much. Like maybe something appears on pro football talk and, and that's it, but we don't really get into it probably on the show. It's, you know, well, that's Richie Incognito. Off, yeah, exactly. It gets written off as crazy Richie Incognito. If he came out and said it now, 
you know, people wouldn't bat an eye because he says he's been saying wacky things his whole career. Right. So it's the, it's the types of people that are saying. So you have um, the, the yeah, quarterback, feels- the slot receiver, the second team all pro slot receiver, uh, the safety that everybody said got robbed from the Pro Bowl. He was the sexy uh, name to be thrown around over the Pro Bowl, sl- uh, Pro Bowl snubs. So obviously these are higher profile players um, that are pretty much thumbing their nose at, at the pandemic being, being serious. Which is how they feel. It's kind of the same as some of these other topics we've gotten into where I'll say, you know, speak your mind, speak your truth. I don't like attacking anybody, especially athletes for being honest and open and informative, even if they have controversial or incorrect opinions. But I do think we need some more balance from other members of the Bills organization, teammates, even the media and the community, pointing out and disputing and, and letting the world know that, you know, this isn't the majority opinion of the Bills and the Bills fan base. Or maybe it is. Maybe this is the anti-vax pandemic denying franchise, and that's going to be their characterization throughout this whole season and time period but you know where where are where's the other side of this argument from the bills and from the organization from the nfl and maybe educating these players a little bit more before they go out and speak on these subjects right well as angry as cole beasley was with his comments today or as combative as he was trying to be i wonder then what he thought of brandon bean's comment last week that he would cut somebody who wasn't vaccinated i mean does cole beasley think his general manager is an idiot Well, I think that's why they have a bit of a situation here, because I think to your Richie Incognito point, right, to an extent, when a lot of guys do stuff in the league, it it can be very individual. Richie Incognito says something and it's like, man, Richie Incognito. The ultimate individual. Yeah, there he goes again. Um, And I think that's true of a lot of a lot of things. Right. You know, Russell Wilson uh, can be kind of goofy and silly on Twitter and like, you know, be a cornball sometimes. And you just kind of say like, you know, man, Russell Wilson, he's really corny. Like he's just a goofy guy. Um, And politically Tom Brady, you know, has, has been kind of odd. Bill Belichick, you know, has um, certainly, you know, you know, curried favor with, with president Trump at one point. And Tom Brady, when I say odd is more that he's like, sometimes very proud and then sometimes very evasive can be a very individual thing. The problem with the bills at the moment is that it's multiple players, as you mentioned, and as Jonah said, those are the only loud ones. Uh, There's not as many on the other side, vocally speaking about, you know, getting the vaccine or taking pictures like here I am getting vaccinated, but you also have the general manager saying what he said about, you know, being willing to cut a player to get back to that threshold, to get back to normal. You have the head coach, the ownership, everybody got vaccinated. Um, and the head coach who hates distractions. Hates distractions and loves a competitive advantage. Right. Loves a competitive advantage. Any tiny competitive advantage he can get, he wants it. And any perceived infringement upon that competitive advantage is an affront to him personally now has to deal with players who are 
let's face it, putting the team at a competitive disadvantage, potentially, or okay with that. And that's removing completely the vaccine question entirely, right? Like we've said it before, like we're all in agreement that these Bills players and, and everybody else should go and get vaccinated. I'm I'm vaccinated. You know, I know you guys are like removing that entirely. I think it is objectively speaking, a they are putting the team at risk of a competitive disadvantage by not getting vaccinated. And they are doing so in a somewhat dangerous way. And it causes a really weird dynamic where you know, somebody who's a huge Cole Beasley fan is now twisting themselves into knots, defending what he's saying, right? You know, there's, you know, fans jumping to the defense of Josh Allen saying what he's saying because, well, that's their guy. And so now, regardless of what they think, they got to twist themselves into knots to think it. This is, this is now a situation, I think, with the team that's going to have to be addressed whenever Sean McDermott speaks. And, while they have their their personal freedom to do what they want, it is impacting other people, not just the public. It is going to directly impact their team potentially. If there's, and you got a young player like Gabriel Davis jumping in, feeling now empowered. Yes, I'm with you, Cole Beasley. Probably felt that way anyways. But now the, the vet in his room says, vaccine, I could still get COVID. Oh, what do I need this for? And then it pops up as it does in these conversations of, well, hey, I'm not a doctor, but man, you're sure talking like one, like, or, or, you know, people are like, well, doctors are wrong all the time. So, you know, why don't I do my own research? Well, I don't know, maybe because one guy or gal went to school for many, many years and like dedicates their life to researching this stuff. And you have an internet connection, a little bit of a disconnect there. And so, now I you think have... you're giving those people maybe too much credit. It's not just that they've done their own research. It's just that they it's, it's say they have the right. Or they it's, have yeah, their it's a right. political view. Yeah. I know what my tribe, my tribe believes that we get vaccinated. My tribe believes vaccines are bullshit. You know, my tribe believes believes in personal freedom and vaccinations are a sign of weakness. My tribe believes. And there's a tribe that's on if you don't get vaccinated, promoting this skepticism. If you watch Tucker Carlson, he's not really laying out any of the facts of the vaccine. He's just raising all of this questioning. And how are we supposed to believe this? And how do you know that? And And isn't it fair, Jonah, that maybe we should ask the question? Yeah, Mm -hmm. but never answering the question and never bringing on the medical experts to get to the bottom of it. It just breeds this. If people are unsure about anything, some people think the masks are harmful and don't want to wear the mask. And even though there's never really been any medical evidence of that case, but there sure is a lot of people questioning whether the masks are good or bad. And certain people that don't like wearing the mask start to believe, yeah, well, you know, maybe we don't know. Maybe it's never been studied and none of the doctors are doing anything. We're all just out in the woods on our own here. Don't understand this issue. And I'm just all a big scam. Yeah, I'm just going to go with what my gut tells me. It's, it's, it could have a ripple effect, right? Like when it's prominent players on the team, trusted players on the team, and we don't know how far reaching it will be and whether, you know, they're loud on Twitter. And then in a couple of weeks when they have to report for mandatory minicamp, they'll be like, all right, fine. Give me the shot. 
Uh, we don't know. You That's know. what I think. I think it turns into a non-issue event. Somebody asked me about this today. What's it going to be like this season? And I, th- I think they're all going to get vaccinated. and It's going to be a non-issue. But- and of course, it, it, you know, the Yankees having a breakthrough case, you know, these breakthrough cases are fueling this even more, I think, of, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it whether I get the shot or not. So why am I taking this shot? Despite many, you know, I, I mean, the scientific evidence, of course, is there, but then the NFL is giving you the incentive to do it competitively. And I think the Bills are going to be in an interesting spot. Like how close to that threshold are they going to get? And are they going to be the team or one of the teams that's not there or struggles to get there, you know, during the season? Or has somebody end up on the list? And we don't the know wrong how time. the protocols are going to be this year, but you end up on the list and how many people in the room, in your, in the receiver's room, in the lineman room, whatever the tight. I mean, we saw it repeatedly last season with the tight end group. Um you know, just because, you know, and it's not just limited to the one player. It could be the backup in that room uh, that knocks Stefan Diggs off the field on a, a certain week. Um, Trey White, whatever. I mean, take a, the linebackers. Who knows? I think from the sounds of it, if these guys had their way, they would be able to play through it if if they could, right. If they were physically, if they didn't get such a bad case, you know, like miles Garrett and Lamar Jackson certainly didn't sound like but it's a would've. variable. And that's what it's, that's where we comes back to the Sean McDermott point, eliminate the variables, any, you know, for the sake of competition, if you want to win a super bowl, I don't care if you're the front office or if you're labor, you know, if you're the players, my thing would be, give me the shot. You know? Yeah. I don't, so what? I think it's I think it's bullshit. Just give me the shot anyway. You know what? I think this drill that the, that my coach puts me through is bullshit. Uh, but I'm going to go through it because my teammates are out here, and I don't want to be seen as a as a bad teammate. You know, I think what this coach says about how we should handle third down against the Ravens, I think that's bullshit. But we got to do it uh, because he's the coach, and this is the game plan. I mean, they're all kind of the aspect of for whatever reason it gets to this needle being put in you that then becomes, yeah, but I got to draw the line somewhere. And Uh, medical, Jack Eichel aside, when players are hurt and it's uncertain whether they're going to play or when they're going to come back, it's always we're going to listen to the doctors and do what the doctors say. And the stories, not that this is necessarily a good thing, but all these stories about the players that have received painkiller shots from the team, they, they, they take whatever the doctors recommend in order to get on the football field for physical injuries. But in this regard, if the doctors are recommending a vaccine or whatnot, pandemic precautions, well, you know, this is where I draw the line. I'm not really going to listen to the doctors this time. Yeah, I think that's also a pretty fair point here. You know, the, you know, when Tim said, you know, when it comes to getting the needle in the arm, you know, they don't mind other needles. Um, you know, you're not too, you know, yeah. Toradol, Toradol is pretty prevalent around the league and does yeah. does some heavy stuff to people like yeah, destroy my go ahead and destroy my kidneys so i can get out there in the third quarter you know which is what tore it all does yeah yeah right. let's what, just go what ahead would, and destroy- go read the the story i did on zach moss and the amount of injections that guy took before he was ever getting played to paid to play football i mean 
We should have probably started off with that point. That's an ex. That's fantastic point. I mean, just to get through the risks that you put yourself through, right? To play football, brain injuries, painkillers, the stuff it does to other parts of your body, just because you're, as it's been described by players, getting in a car crash every Sunday. And you're going to take a vaccine that is backed up by a lot of science and, you know, is going to lower your chances of getting a severe case of this virus, lower your chances of catching the virus, lower your chances of transmitting the virus and make it easier on your teammates. What if they have to have the group of guys that are vaccinated and the group of guys that aren't in different spots, having different meetings. And some of the receivers are going to be sitting in the, you know, sitting on zoom and the others are going to be in the room and Sean McDermott will hate it. He will be so pissed if he, he has to deal with some of that. And, you know, from a moral standpoint, you know, you've got people that actually can't take the vaccine for whatever, you know, for legitimate medical reasons. And, you know, this just puts, puts them at, at more risk in the public and everything else. I don't know that there's anybody in the NFL medically that can't take the vaccine, but it's just dragging your feet and making a point that I can't, it's, it's putting your freedom to choose to do whatever the hell you want above anything else that, and if you want to live in a society and in particular, if you want to play on an NFL team, there are some things that make that a lot easier and make that a lot, uh, some things that you should do. Uh, to, to do that and to be a part of that team and to show that you care about the guys around you and winning at all costs. Well, I would say the vaccine is part of that at this point. Given, yeah, think of we all don't those know what medical the rules supplements are yet, or, or health supplements that have not been screened by the FDA that these players put into their body, you know, hoping that it doesn't have something that's going to make them. T- I mean, there are probably some, there are probably a lot of people in the NFL that if you were to say, look, you saw what Medina Spirit did last, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago at the Kentucky Derby. Um, I just, I just ingested some cough medicine. I'm going to piss on this hay. Now you eat this hay, and you're going to go off for six catches and 87 yards and a touchdown on Sunday. Well, shit, I'll eat that hay. Go ahead, piss on that hay. I'll eat it. You know, uh, but no, no, I'm, I'm not going to put that. Uh, I'm not going to put that needle in my arm. I don't need that. I don't need any of that. Uh, I don't need that tracking device uh, put in me. And yet most of them do wear a tracking device <laughs> pre-COVID to track all sorts of things about their body, uh, right. track their sleep or whatever else. And yeah, they had to wear them last year, the contact tracers and all that. I mean, you had a player on your team get COVID and miss the entire year and have a, a heart condition that could have threatened his career. I mean, it was right there. It and may still home. yet threaten his career. We don't know what, still. Tom, what yeah, Tommy Sweeney's I mean, up to. Missing a year. He's, he's supposed to come back and be 100%. But right. missing an entire year as a late-round draft pick, not ideal. And what it will do for the rest of his career, we don't know. You're right. And I think that's where it – you know, I've, I've – And Cole I've Beasley's heard. not young. If he were to – let's say something were to happen. I mean, I'm just, we're using Cole Beasley as the example. But what is he? however old he is for him to lose a season. And he's, he was banged up. He played hurt last year. And, you know, there was even questions on how much longer can the bills count on Cole Beasley as their slot receiver. He's got a lot of mileage on him. Uh, He plays hurt a lot. 
But something happens to Cole Beasley where he misses a handful of games this year. I mean, who's to say what that does for him next year, the year after? I mean, he, he doesn't have seasons to burn. He doesn't have games to throw away uh, in his career. He's 32, just turned 32. I mean, so, yeah, it's – I think what it comes down to is it's now – it's now very much a situation and it kind of feels like to Jonah's point, I don't know. I don't follow every single NFL player on Twitter and keep tabs on what everybody's saying, but it feels like the bills are kind of becoming the face of this issue that is going to face the NFL. They are becoming the focal point of it. They were when Brandon Bean said what he said. Uh, They certainly were when, Josh Allen, I think, was one of the first NFL players to voice his opinion on the vaccine. And it was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm not eligible yet, yada, yada. And, and maybe teams have more players, but the Bills had their starting quarterback, the guy who, hell, maybe ends up on the cover of Madden this year. I mean, this guy's hot. Um, Cole Beasley, a former Cowboy, who everything he says on Twitter becomes a thing. Uh, and your general manager getting the attention of the NFL. Through and let's not – I mean, I don't want to short sell uh, – Jordan Poyer's wife either. I mean, she's got a gazillion followers on That's social true. media. She does have a lot of followers. He's a she's a prominent lo- player. She's, she's the loudest. Um, she is the loudest and most direct. You know, I'd say I would classify Josh Allen as vaccine hesitant in what he said. Um, I would probably throw Cole Beasley into the same camp. That might be being generous. Uh, Rachel Bush is anti-vax, 100%, and has made that very clear anti at least this vaccine um she has made that perfectly clear so it it creates you know it it creates a weird dynamic if you're a young player walking into the room and you're like am i going to be in with the the cool kids if i if i got my shot you know like you know am i going to be you know i don't know it's it's a it's a distraction it's a potentially and i don't think it will ultimately be this but it is a potentially divisive issue in your locker room particularly because of what the general manager said and it's also a potential competitive disadvantage depending on how everything shakes out so I know people don't love the topic and don't love you know people seem very afraid to say that people should get vaccinated and that perhaps these guys are wrong for saying that they're not going to, or that, or fanning the flames of the issue. But those three things I laid out are real from a football standpoint for this team that has schedule came out. I'm seeing, you know, I went through it myself. I said, eh, look, maybe 13 and four. I've seen some 14 and threes, some, uh, some undefeated predictions from, from some, uh, from some local news folks. So for a team with that. All right. Don't just say who said it. I don't, I don't know this. So I don't know if who, who I believe Rodak said, I believe Rodak told me that uh, Pete Gallivan said that the bills were going to go undefeated. Um, I didn't fact check Rodak and that's probably something I should do. Uh, Mike but, is accurate. Mike is not reckless. That's true. Um, so, you know, Pete Gallivan doesn't cover the team. He's a, he's a fan of the team, um, but great guy. But point being, the expectation is there that this is a Super Bowl contender team, a team Absolutely. that should could win at minimum 11 games. And the most optimistic people probably do say, why not 14, 15, 
16. Hell, win them all, all 17. So there are fo- there are now football implications. Josh Allen saying what he said, well, you could extrapolate that into football implications, but I think we all sat there and said, well, you know, he's probably going to get it at some point. And the Bills were doing all the right things, McDermott and Bean. And now it's like, well, maybe Josh Allen's comment empowered some folks to say, hell yeah, that's my quarterback. Uh, if he can say it, I can say it. And these were a guy, these were guys that kind of flirted, you know, with, uh, they didn't social distance. They were proudly posting photos all last summer doing these workouts at some of the local high schools, arms around each other, shirts off, sweating all over each other. And, and of course, you know, fans loved it. Look at these guys, they're tight. They're working out together, but still, and maybe that emboldened them because they got through that. Hey, we worked out last year. We had no issues. Um, or maybe someone got it, right? We don't know. Somebody could have, yeah, you're we right. Don't know, we don't know who got it from March to early August. That's true. And, and we don't know who got it from January until now. And if you got it, you might say, well, I already got it. I'm immune. And so what do I need it for? Um, so that is another layer of this where we don't know everybody's exact situation. And we also don't know the league's stance yet. We don't know the league's exact policy on what it looked like with the players. There's a lot of issues that the league and the PA need to sort out, but it seems reasonable. And Brandon Bean seems to be operating under the thought that in some manner, there will be a threshold that if you hit, you will have different restrictions than other teams. And it's just hard for me to sit here and think that Sean McDermott is going to want more restrictions for his team, that he's going to accept that he as a, as a head coach can't do what another head coach can do because of something that is in their control. He was pissed when it came out that some teams would have fans and others wouldn't, he didn't like that. And then he walked it back almost immediately the next day but his initial visceral reaction was that it was unfair. And the yeah, 4,000 fans were going to give right. somebody an advantage. That the NFL didn't... said, who cares? Don't care. Yeah, sorry, we need the revenue. And they did it anyways. And, you know, he ended up being okay with it. He was not super pleased with how, and I don't think anybody on the Bills was super pleased with how the Titans situation played out. There were guys that week saying, I don't know if I feel comfortable playing in this game. And now you've got, those same guys sharing a locker room with these guys. And I think that I'm curious to see how it'll play out. Like Jonah said, it's possible it becomes nothing and guys just get the shot and they, they, you know, they go about it that way, but, and it becomes a quiet thing. But the fact of the matter is when the bills don't need to be a topic on our show and on May 13th, you know, other than talking about the schedule, maybe, if you're into that sort of thing, they now are. And I don't think it's unjustified. I don't think it, I don't think it's just because we're getting all twisted up about it. I think it's because it's now becoming really hard to, it becomes harder to ignore with every player that comes out and speaks. And again, yeah. Can he say whatever he wants? Yes. But there are always consequences for what you say. And if you feel strongly about something, you better be ready to back it up. And you better appreciate the consequences that can come from what you say. And 
the lessons perhaps were not learned from Josh Allen. I don't think we'll be hearing many uh, loud statements from Josh Allen about this anymore, but you know, it's now a, now a question and we'll see what happens. We'll see when these guys get back. We'll see when all that sorts itself out. Cause not a lot of these guys are even in town. Um, but that's when it starts to become real when you're in the building and when you got different rules than the guy next to you because you didn't get the shot. There's an, there's an anti-authority, anti-willingness to go along with the program and do what's best for the team element to this that I think could rear its head in other situations with these players or other players. And, you know, I think of that students that want to go back to campus at SUNY colleges this next semester have to be vaccinated and all sorts of businesses are going to require that their employees need to be vaccinated to come back to work in those buildings and all sorts of organizations and things that we want to do sit in the front row at a baseball game or sit in the good sections of outdoor stadiums. You're going to need to prove that you're vaccinated to get on flights, things like that. Why is the NFL so different? NFL players have this higher standard. I get that it's a collective bargain issue, but I think the NFL and the teams and the culture around the league need to be stronger about promoting that we're going to, get our, all our players vaccinated or we want all our players vaccinated and we don't really support the freedom of choice element of this issue as much as it seems now that the NFL players are becoming or certain bills and, and athletes and NFL players are becoming the voice of the vaccine hesitant. I don't think the NFL wants that or should want that. No, I agree. I, I don't know if it's... I don't think the bills want that. Right. I, I don't think... Well, Brandon Bean doesn't seem to want that. Brandon Bean doesn't want it. Yeah. We've, everything he, he we've said about Sean McDermott would suggest that he doesn't want it. He's vaccinated. They're, they're, they were all in the draft room, no masks, and, you know, with the little badge on the screen that said that it was a vaccinated draft room. So, But Brandon Bean gets in more trouble, it seems, for being pro-vaccine or even pro-following the NFL's protocols than any of these players are for speaking out against well, part of that is what Tim mentioned on the last show, which is that the NFL actually has some control over Brandon Bean. They can say, hey, don't do that. And Brandon Bean has to, you know, fall in line with the NFL as an NFL employee, as one of the general managers of 32, one of 32 franchises. The players, they're towing a fine line. And there's some issues that they all have to sort through in terms of when everybody's going to get back. There's some teams that are saying it's very much a COVID issue why they aren't back yet. Um, there are others who are saying, well, this is, you know, like Tom Brady said, this is, you know, why are we doing competitive drills in May? So until that's all sorted through, I wouldn't expect the NFL to come down super hard on guys that are saying one thing or the other. They're trying to, you know, be nice about it all and if it's not collectively bargained because they don't want to give something back you know then there's the only way they have to coerce them into getting vaccinated is to change the rules which at some point i would expect those guidelines to to be out there um, but until they are it's not super black and white of if you get this number you know and the bills are probably sitting there wondering what, what the number is right now. That's probably a, a bit of a concern as they sit there and say, what's our number going to be? And how are we going to, how are we going to navigate whatever that number is? 
and not knowing when it will get there. And I, I have to think that's a bit of a headache for Sean McDermott and his staff. Um, one that they don't really want to deal with in a spring where they have plenty of other headaches to deal with. Well, we'll be monitoring social media. I think that uh, as long as Bill's players decide they want to pop off about this, then I think it becomes, it remains in the headlines or at least something that we'll be aware of. I don't know really how many people out there want to touch this topic. I, it's not a popular thing to dive into. I get that. I think that the last couple of times we've talked about vaccination issues as they pertain to the bills on this podcast, uh, we've had listeners reach out and say, hey, thanks for talking about this. Nobody's really reporting it. And I, I get it. It's a third rail issue and people just like, eh, I just don't want to piss off. It, but people don't want to wade into something that's political and that is, you know, they don't want to generate the comments or have to hear about it on social media uh, by, by even mentioning that it's, that it's, uh, that it is an issue. So, but I, I, we've established here over the last half hour, uh, that, um, I think we all believe that this is a, a simmering issue with the bills at the moment that, uh, until something is done, whether it be through uh, collective bargaining between the league and the players association or the bills themselves fostering some kind of um, harmony on this topic that uh, this this will be uh, this will be one of those variables that uh, Josh McDermott uh, that um, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are going to uh, uh, wish they didn't have to deal with. All right, thanks to everybody for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK CPAs and Business Consultants uh, for. Jonah Bronstein for Matthew Fairburn. I am Tim Graham. Talk to you again soon. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. We'll